Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And I'm back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany and my special guest, uh, Ananda Thomas of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, hi, Ananda. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Just uh, busy, busy doing the work in the community, you know. <laughs> so, yes. So tell me now, Ananda, this is this has been a really big year for Black Lives Matter. Uh, because you you went from being, you know, not not that well known to all of a sudden with uh, with the death of jo- George Floyd being thrust into the the spotlight and really taking the civil rights movement to uh, another level. So, what was that like? Being how did how do you fit into that? Uh, yeah, so I've uh, been involved in the political scene on and off for the past six years, seven years now, almost. And you know, I think what happened with the uprising this summer is people had had enough. This has been mm-hmm. for a while. And I think it's really the next leg of the civil rights movement, right? First. Mm-hmm. We were fighting for liberation from slavery, and then we're fighting Jim Crow laws and fighting for equality. And this is the next step and level within that, um, you know, mainly focused on police brutality and police reform. But it, it's even bigger than that. How do we make sure that we have the same type of opportunity that other communities have, whether that's access to loans and having the same type of interest rate on mortgages? or being treated the same by police, um, this movement always continues. And this is just the next leg. Um, and, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know that one ever plans for this. I feel like I, I just graduated with my master's from UTSA in political science and the uprising started and I knew I had to be out there and I, I did not have a path <laughs> exactly. I just knew that I needed to be there and it would come to me. And I've met a lot of incredible organizers and folks along the way that have helped guide me to where I am now. So what did you think when you saw uh, January 6th? Because you went through all the, during the summer, there was uh, there were, were protests, peaceful protests. For the for the most part, you know, ninety five percent of the protests were were peaceful protests. So we saw that, and we saw the level of force that was presented at those peaceful protests. What what are your what was your take on that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think with any type of big social movement, social change movement. Um, it's going to get a little hairy. It's going to get dangerous. It's going to get dicey because people are, are activated and changes is, is scary no matter what that is. And I think that this is part of what we're seeing before this next big role of change. There are folks that are scared or don't understand it and are becoming more violent in their actions um, to stop that change from happening. Um, you know, and I, I don't approve of it whatsoever, but I think that there is some positivity to be found in that we must be doing something, something right for it to have reached this point. You know, the darkest point is always before you reach the dawn and, and this change that's coming in the next day. And I think we're at that point right now. We need to be as safe as possible, but we cannot let this intimidate us from pushing this path forward from continuing to strive forward. And, you know, I really hope that folks, you know, consider that within this, not just to be angry and to be scared, but to turn those feelings into action so that this does not happen again. Um, so that the whole point to this, that these intimidation, and these fear tactics don't work. They don't win. Um, and, and shut these types of actions down. 
You're exactly right. So can you tell me what were you, what do you think uh, when you see all of the, the negative comments about Black Lives Matter? I mean, there's a lot of disinformation out there. I don't think folks fully understand what this movement is about through and through. Um, and I think part of that's intentional from our opposition and those fighting change, right? The, the easiest tactic to use is to, is to misinform folks and to scare them um, so that they don't educate themselves on what this is about and so that they don't get involved. Um, at the end of the day, this has always been about we should matter the same. We should have the same rights. We should have the same be treated equally and fairly. And even if we don't have Jim Crow laws or slavery has been abolished, the fact of the matter is, is that we as a community, as a black community, are still reeling from years of oppression and discrimination and still recovering from that and still not always being treated fairly or equitably. Um, there's still a long way to go and folks need to focus on that and harness that and embrace it and get us to that level of equality that we've been fighting for hundreds of years. What do you envision uh, happening next? Because it's one thing to protest, but that still has to lead to something. So what are, what are you all trying to, to, to get to? Absolutely. So, you know, we are focused on taking protests to policy change. Um, I'm the deputy director for Fix SAPD, and that's one of the groups trying to do this. We are focused on police reform, specifically within our police unions and our police contracts. Uh, there are laws in place, legislation that has been put in place to keep disciplinary uh, loopholes and barriers that exists within our contract. It's not just something in this contract we negotiate on. Now laws have been put into place to help solidify that. And so what we are focused on doing is a ballot initiative to repeal those laws, those chapters, so we can get to a contract where we as the community get to have a say, get to have a vote, get to have the type of policing that we believe we should have in our community. These laws are antiquated from the 1940s, the 1970s, Racial profiling was fine then. Broken windows policing was thought to be a good thing, right? We've come a long way now in the 21st century, and we still are learning more and pushing that as we go, but we're still held back by laws that are decades old. Um, and so that's one of the examples of taking protest to policy. Was there a ballot initiative that can be done? Is there speaking to your representatives? Can you run for office to put these values and policies into place? Um, it's, it's a critical part. Even with Dr. King, they were protesting, they were marching right peacefully, having actions. He was also speaking to, to the president and legislators about passing legislation and policy to help cement what we wanted in place. And that's absolutely critical to the work we are doing now. So do you have a legislative uh, committee? Like, are you all writing any policy right now? We don't necessarily have a legislative committee. There's a coalition of organizations that have, some are brand new, right, from this year. Some have been in the community for years, joining together to put the type of pressure we need on our legislators, on our politicians, on our city leaders, um, and having those conversations. We have some folks that are running for different positions from the city all the way up to the state or are planning to run. Um, and more so than a committee, it's a coalition making sure that we are keeping each other informed and adding support where we need. We need folks at this protest. We need folks to call this, this committee chairman. We need folks to speak up at city council. Um, you know, keeping each other in the know and making sure that we can support each other and stay as organized as we can moving forward. So since we're in a, in a, um, in an election year, uh, what, what kind of questions are you asking of these candidates that are coming up for, uh, for spots, uh, this year that are running? What are you, what are y'all what is your agenda for them? Yes. So um, 
the the biggest thing right now is do you support proposition b on the ballot what prop b would do if passed is repeal the current contract for our tell our, tell our people a little bit about prop b like yes. what's proposition proposition uh, b? so what prop b will do is it will repeal state local government code a chapter called 174 if that is repealed, you're taking away the collective bargaining of our police union. They will move to a system of meet and confer. They will still be able to negotiate for wages, benefits, things that, you know, you absolutely want, whether you're a fast food worker or plumber or teacher or police officer, right? We want great wages and benefits. We believe in that. However, it allows a mechanism now where if we as a community don't agree with what's going on in negotiations or what's been proposed as our new contract, especially in terms of police discipline and misconduct, we can vote to repeal that or say, no, we don't want this, go back to the drawing table. And that's what this is about. Um, currently, San Antonio has the worst rehire rate for officers fired. We're almost at 70% of officers that are fired for misconduct over the past 10 years have been returned to the force through an avenue of different mechanisms, and it's because of loopholes in the contract. We also have been ranked in a study um, by Rice University this last fall as the worst civilian oversight system in Texas. That's dictated by our contract. And, you know, this is our 15th contract negotiation right now. Um, it's piecemeal reforms here and there. Um, we don't have a seat at the table as the community. We don't get to vote on the final contract. It's whatever has been agreed upon has been agreed upon. And we're stuck with the contract for the next five, six years, depending how long negotiations go. And that's five or six years of more bad officers getting on the force, five or six years of the worst civilian oversight system, five to six years of people's lives whether they're good officers or the community being negatively affected by bad officers. And so voting yes on Prop B means we can move to a better contract, creating a contract where we as the people get a voice in policing in our community, which we haven't had for decades. Um, and so that's one of the things that we're asking all candidates. Do you support Prop B? Do you understand why this is so important? Mm -hmm. um, do you do you understand the community's calls for better community oversight, for having a say in in policing in their community? Do they see a problem with the way that our police force has operated on several different levels? Um, you know, those are the types of questions that we are asking them and pushing really for this election is where is police reform and police discipline for you? Where is community oversight and community control over what's happening in their community? Because if you think things are fine and the status quo is fine right now, we're telling you it is not. Um, these are too many lives on the line. What did you think about, well, I was on a call with you and uh, with uh, the, the police union, uh, uh, the head of the police union, and, and I was listening to what he was saying. Uh, what did you think about what he had to say? Because he wasn't, uh, he, he didn't seem like he was, he was uh, pro-constituents. He seemed more like he was, you know, holding tight to the, to the, the uh, supporting bad behavior. You know, right? Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of great cops out there, but what he was saying was not uh, necessarily supportive of of good cops, but he was, he was like justifying stuff. It sounded like. Right. I think that it's very telling that you, our new police union head and even our negotiators for the police union right now are really just towing the line around the status quo. Um, you know, I can't say that the city has brought forth every issue that community wanted in these contract negotiations for accountability and police discipline, but they brought forth quite a few and every single one, there was some response back from the union on this is, this is, um, you know, going against officers rights or that there's no problem with this, that we're exaggerating. And I don't think that they're considering that 
these are people's lives on the line. Um, I don't think they fully understand, hey, we are the taxpayers that are paying your salaries. And we are also the ones that are at the hands of bad police officers abusing us, using racial slurs, making these egregious acts of misconduct. And so we deserve to have a say and you need to listen to us. You're here to protect and serve us. I understand you need to represent your officers, but you should be representing the good ones and doing everything you can to keep the bad ones off your force. Not only are they harming us, they're harming your officers and they're tarnishing the name of our police department. And I, you know, Danny Diaz said that he believes in reforms, and that these are important issues, but what he's saying and what he is doing, which is inaction really, don't add up. They don't match up. And that's a huge issue. We can't stick with the status quo of what's been happening. So what does he say when you all bring this this up? Like when you're, what's your plan of action when you're dealing with something like this? Right. So um, they're following the playbook that has been laid out by Rhonda Lord, who is their chief negotiator. You know, there was a recent New York Times article that came out about him that he wrote the playbook for police unions, which was when when you're in trouble or facing pressure, right, you you scare folks with stats on crime rates. You do whatever you can to defame whatever political person or grassroots activist is coming out against you, whatever you can, you can say to bully them and defame them and, you know, even unseat or unthrown them. And even now that's what they're doing. They, they know that the term defund is scary for a lot of folks out here in the community. And even though there's nothing to back up their claims, they're saying, well, this will defund the police and police officers will not want to be on our force because how are we going to to fight for great wages and benefits, right? These scare tactics that aren't backed up by facts. Meanwhile, we answer back with the facts of the case. Meet and confer, that's a system that almost every other major city in Texas works under. Austin, Houston, Dallas. They have the same or even better pay or benefits than we do for their officers. They have far less officers that are fired and returned to the force. We dropped from 70% in San Antonio to 28% in Dallas as the next highest. So there is a problem right there. And that's cited from a Washington Post article that compared all the data the same way. You know, we back everything up. We say with these are the facts of the case. This is from this study. This is from our own study. This is from polling. This is the truth of the matter of what this system is, what this proposition does, and what are the issues with our current policing system. We're ranked worst in the state for civilian oversight. 70% of fired officers are being returned after acts of misconduct. We have officers that have been fired and brought back five times because their disciplinary records cannot be included in their next disciplinary decision, in their arbitration. Those are the facts of the case. And, you know, I think it's sad. That's important. Those issues are important. You know, when I, when, okay, I, I have to ask you about the, the very message, defund the police, because that message seemed to trip you up as you were moving along with this, uh, and not just here in San Antonio, but nationwide pe- people, uh, on both sides of the fence took, took, offense to defund the police. So can you explain what that means? Like, what does that entail? Are you talking about getting rid of the police? Like nobody's, nobody's going to be in favor of that. Uh, I've read defunding the police, so I know what it entails, but you tell our listeners what it, what it entails. So the concept of defund, and I should start with a disclaimer here, Fix SAPD as an organization is focused on police accountability and has never once touted to be a defund organization because they're not. We're focused on what is happening with police discipline. But outside of my capacity with that to explain defund, the basic concept behind that is to divest certain resources, whether that's civilizing certain jobs or making, moving certain aspects of policing to other 
community resources. So for instance, instead of having an officer with a gun and the badge be the first one to respond to a mental health call, having a mental health crisis worker show up to that call um, to de-escalate it first. Another example would be instead of having an officer show up for somebody who's maybe drunk in public or, you know, high on something, there's a sobering unit that shows up. And instead of taking them to jail, which we already have far, far too many folks in jail, mass incarceration is a problem. They go to a sobering unit, a place where they can get the resources and things that they need. And it doesn't fall under the purview of a police department. Um, you know, all you're talking about here is limiting the size and the scope of what police do. So they do more of the protect and serve and moving to more community policing where folks are, are getting resources they need for mental health, for substance abuse, where they're not automatically going to jail immediately, where we're taking some of this stress off of our officers who are doing a million jobs at once and spreading it across the community to help that load, to help that stress on police officers, but also to to help fight mass incarceration, to find real solutions to helping folks that need resources, because jail is not always is not always the answer or the solution. Um, it's talking no, about. Oh, go ahead. That sounds like that's helpful to to the uh, to the officers and to to the public. So why, you know, that that message has to get out there. Like what, how, how different that would be, because, you know, when you look at, at this, uh, when you talk about a, a concept like systemic racism, systemic, uh, people need to truly understand what that means. And it means that, uh, everyone is a victim of that system. The, the ethnic minority, as well as the police officers and people who are being trained and in, inducted into a system that is going to get a negative outcome for everybody involved. If you want to change something, then you have to get people together and give a win to both sides, which is yeah. what this uh, sounds like. Tell us some more about about what's actually what is actually uh, fix at, what fix X SA is trying to accomplish. Yes, yeah, officers definitely need that. They definitely need mental health professionals to come to uh, deal with some of those mental health calls that they get. Right. And I, you know, I think the other important piece of this divest conversation is that, you know, everybody keeps, we they always focus on, well, these are the crime rates. We need, how do we focus on reducing crime? There are multiple studies out there from multiple credible institutions saying that if you have more programs, right, that address homelessness, that address education, that address um, you know, substance abuse, you know, things like that, that in communities where they focus more on those kinds of programs, crime rates do go down. Uh, frankly, most folks don't feel the need to steal if they know that they can feed their families and have food on the table. You know, if they know social that they have uh, social determinants of health. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. Those, you know, and I think that's a major piece that is being left out of this conversation is if really at the end of the day the the goal for everyone is to reduce crime and keep folks safe mm -hmm. then you need to invest in a community to do that and and use tried and true tactics that statistically are proven to be the most effective and that even ties into fix sapd with with what we're trying to do with police discipline and and fighting police misconduct is take away these loopholes and this legislation that stays in place that maybe at one time pre beforehand seemed like a great idea because we do need to protect officers, but has actually been turned and used more into a pathway for bad officers to stay on the force and not face repercussions for their actions. Um, because that's what we've seen before. I mean, an officer that has been fired five or six times and brought back to the force 
the reason they keep committing this misconduct and these offenses is because they now know they can get away with it. And that then becomes a culture around the whole department. So, uh, you know, we need to attack this at the root of the problem and make sure that these officers are held accountable the same way as we are held accountable at our own employment, you know? So if, right, it's, it's fixing things at the root of the problem, whether it's police discipline, police violence, whether it's homelessness, mass incarceration, you need to go to the root of the problem. And I really believe that that is what we're doing here with Prop B. I believe that that's at the heart of the Black Lives Matter movement. There's a lot of very, very intelligent, driven, passionate folks that that's exactly what they have done. They've taken the time to research the issues and find where the root of the problem is and build it from there. And it's not easy. It's sometimes scary and a lot of work, but it's the right way to do it. Well, I, I like what you, what you said there about, uh, working together and trying to, uh, to create something that works for, for the community and for, uh, uh, getting good officers and not retreading with the same, same, uh, trifling business <laughs> of people misbehaving. And, and we're just like, Oh, it's okay. You know, <laughs> that's not, that's not the road you want to go down. Um, now with you all and, and, uh, policy for fix SA, what, when you think about, uh, policy, because, you know, we all, our legislative sessions meet every two years. So if you're looking to change policy, then now is the year to do that because they're, they're in session. Um, now I, I think, I think, you know, any piece of legislation that one wanted to file had to be done like last week, but as you all are planning out your agenda, because, you know, organizations plan, uh, three years, five years, uh, in, in advance. And I know you all are young, uh, but, what what is your your three year plan like that net the next legislative session where do you want to see what do you want to see as the first piece of legislation that that you all address yeah well you know i think honestly we can start with this legislative session there is a bill uh house bill 88 called the george floyd act it is the most comprehensive police reform bill that has been out in recent memory that I know of in Texas. It covers everything from, you know, uh, working to end qualified immunity to creating um, a progressive disciplinary matrix. So that means whether you're under collective bargaining or meet and confer or neither one, that police department, all law enforcement has to have some type of disciplinary matrix that includes an officer's past discipline and the amount of infractions they've had and gives, you know, more strict discipline depending on how egregious that misconduct is. Those are for things that are not criminal. Um, and that's something that's not in play right now. Um, it ends no knock warrants. It expands sight and release. So anything that is a finable offense, you do not go to jail for. Um, it is stricter on excessive force and use of force. Um, force only being equal to whatever the alleged offense is. So in the case of George Floyd, a counterfeit $20 bill, very small offense, findable offense. There is no way that it can be justified that you should have a knee on your neck for, for nine minutes for that, or to be shot in the back for that, right? Um, it's a comprehensive bill. It covers a lot, a lot of things, um, even for uh, departments that may use collective bargaining or meet and confer under certain uh, chapters. Those contracts can no longer supersede uh, city ordinances, can no longer supersede state laws, can no longer supersede home rule city charters, because currently they do. 
our own contract supersedes any local or state laws. So can insulate themselves from police reform if they want. It covers all of that. Um, it's being heard in committee this Thursday, actually the 25th. Um, it's the Homeland Security and Public Safety Committee. Um, that If that act alone passes this legislative session, it will change so much for police reform. You know, and I think besides is, that... What is that held in committee? In, is that federal or is that state? That's state. state. Right, There's, so it's held in committee this, this Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, these bills can stay in committee for a couple sessions, so who knows what will happen. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they move fast, sometimes they don't. Um, but that's a major one right now. Um, you know, to put How is that working with the pandemic? Like, so are you all allowed to go to the, the, cause we, we just, uh, it, it, with so much happening with the pandemic, it's like, oh, what are you, what can you do? Are you all going to the Capitol to do this to, uh, while, you know, while it's in session to, yeah, so um, they are, I think it's different committee to committee, but for this committee, um, they are accepting in-person testimony, which is what mm-hmm. most of the folks in our coalition is doing, but they have mm-hmm. offered a virtual option. I think the virtual, you, the in-person testimonies are first, and then it's virtual over Zoom, mm-hmm. but you have to sign up a, ahead of time by a certain date. And mm-hmm. I think the virtual testimony has to be invited by a committee member only. You can't just openly log in yeah. and line up in queue and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, some committees are invite only testimony. Um, so they aren't allowing just anybody to speak on it. It's invite only from committee members, but they're doing both virtual and in person. I know that many coalition members that are not speaking will be on the south side of uh, the Capitol on Thursday morning at 830 um, before it's heard at 1030 doing a rally as well. So there will be actions around this. There's, I think, a good 60 organizations in this coalition around the state that are following this bill, um, making sure that whatever actions need to happen are happening. Uh, the website's txgeorgefloydact.com. Um, they have ways, I think they've listed how to contact your representative there um, by email, by phone call. They'll be giving updates on there. Um, You know, I think they might be posting some of the social media graphics that can be shared. Um, But that's one way to get to to get involved. And I think the most important for me, the most important bill that's happening in in session right now. Um, I hopefully it gets passed in all its entirety. Some of the portions of the bill are things brought that didn't pass with the Sandra Bland Act years ago. So this is pulling everything that hasn't passed for police reform in the past with new stuff and putting it into one giant bill, which is really exciting. Wow, that it that's very interesting. So tell me, you know, tell our listeners, what is it that you feel, you know, after you after we've gone through this whole year with the pandemic, with George Floyd, eight minutes and 46 seconds that changed all the, all of our lives. What, what do you see on the horizon? Yeah. I know people are, are, you know, people are pessimistic, but this is a time a huge time of change, you know, and that's change is, is hard, but it's good. Absolutely. Yes. I think we're going to see a lot more changes coming along. Um, You know, every November, every ballot initiative that dealt with police reform passed overwhelmingly. Um, Some of them by over a 70% margin. I think that that's going to, we're going to continue to see citizen driven, community driven initiatives for policing, more ballot initiatives, more legislation, more, diverse elected leaders and not just on police reform and supporting the black community, right. But black lives matter has always been inclusive for the LGBTQ community, the indigenous community, you know, and I think that it, you know, right. It's about us. 
I think that that's going to be pulling change along for a lot of communities and groups here that don't haven't always had the strongest voice or the loudest voice. They've been oppressed. And so I, I see a lot of change happening. I don't think it's all going to happen right away. Um, you know, I know that it can get tiring, but folks should know that this is a marathon. Um, some of these things we want to see might not happen until two, three, five years down the road, but that's okay. Cause every, everything we're doing now, every step that we are taking adds to that final victory at the end. And, and what you're saying is, is correct. Like in order to, to, uh, to make policy change, which is really the only way that this, that, that you went at this, it doesn't matter that, Protests are, are good and they definitely make wake people up. But in order to get what, in order to change anything in this nation, then you have to, uh, make a policy change. And so addressing having a, having a long-term plan three, we're going to do this in three in year two, this in year three, and this in year, you know, having, having a, a policy plan, a policy, policy agenda is uh is imperative and it does take it it will take a few sessions however many sessions it takes as you as things come up as you knock one hurdle down and you go to the next thing but uh it's you know that's a it it is interesting to watch all of this uh unfold because for a lot of people my age, for sure, one, I, I never thought I would see insurrectionists actually walking through the Capitol and flying a, a Confederate flag in the Capitol. The entire war was fought for that not to happen. Right. Uh, so seeing that uh, and just how fed up people have finally gotten with... Uh, with nonsense, with with the racial climate that should not, uh, you know, your race should not enter into whether or not you're going to get a fair shake at opportunity. Uh, black people have never been asking for a handout. We're not looking for something free. What we're looking for is, and uh, and what we what we demand is. Uh, equal uh, shot, a fair playing field, so uh, we can we can continue to do the things that we do as a people and and work, you know, work work and and earn wages at the same rate, and you know, just all of the the things in life. If we're going to have the conversation, then let's kick the door wide open and have it. Yes, <laughs> you know, instead of. <laughs> <laughs> this this uh, Melba Toast thing that we've we've experienced for the last you know many decades, and now all of a sudden in eight minutes and forty six seconds, everybody just kind of said, you know what, this is this is junk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah is I mean, junk. I think the the internet has become a tool, and I think has really helped jumpstart this next this next leg of, mm-hmm. of the movement and being able to get information around so quickly so we can uh, be able to see these things that, you know, back in the sixties or, or even before that would take a while to make it across country. Now it's around the world in mm-hmm. 20 minutes. It's, it's an interesting time. You know, it's, it's very, I, now as far as our, our country goes, I, I love our country. I think it's a great, great nation um we have our our issues and this is one of them and we have to uh just address it head on and be fair with one another because that's the way that we get to where we want to go you know but with that being said you can't overlook the long storied history of how uh, our ethnic group and others have been treated like what we see right now. We just, we just, uh, have experienced an, an incredible uptick in people 
and the hate crimes against the Asian community. Right. It's sickening. I just can't believe it. But I think that highlight that highlights that there are still a lot of folks that, that do have hate, that don't understand, that are ignorant. And this is a moment for the community to come together for each other because we're stronger together. And if you hurt one of us, you hurt all of us, whether you're Asian or black or indigenous or, Mm -hmm. or gay or any of that, we're, we've all been oppressed together by the system that is not fully serving us or giving us the same opportunity. And we all have to rise up together. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister? Is your brother? Is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. It's an, it, it's, it's very, very interesting to watch all of this because as, as you see people... I think that the one of the most telling parts of it is how many people of uh, how many white people have noticed that this is not right. We see a, we see a a menagerie of different ethnicities who are saying this is wrong. You can't behave this way, <laughs> and I don't want to raise my kids around this kind of behavior. You know so. I, I I know this is is uh, hard for some people, and I I really hate even saying that it's hard for some people because I don't see why uh, anybody would find fault in someone someone uh, being held accountable for their actions, especially when their actions result in another person's death. Absolutely. I, you know, I think accountability, being held accountable for one's actions has been, has been, well, it's supposed to have been at the base of an American values. It is an American value. It is, it is a very American value. It is a very conservative American value. So it should certainly be something that is held in high esteem and that is followed regardless of the uh, pigmentation of the skin of the individual that is being assaulted. (laughs) You do not have the the right to just go in, go in on somebody because they look different from you. Absolutely. Or you perceive weakness in that person or whatever, you know, what, whatever it is that is, is causing this, this uptick in uh, hate crimes and in in uh, anger and ferociousness on on certain people's parts, uh, it has to be addressed. It has to be addressed for what it is and called out. Absolutely. You know, now that's what I love about about our our nation is that you have the right to call something out if it is ridiculous. And baseless, you have the right to say, this is baseless. <laughs> you have the right to say it. And, uh, you know, I thank you for being willing to to uh, step up to the plate and, and uh, take the fire from people who have the, have the uh, unmitigated gall to give it to you. And then <laughs> it's 
stand up for because <laughs> I'm I'm just always just floored by anyone who <laughs> is is uh, willing to to argue in favor of of somebody kneeling on somebody else's neck like how can you justify that when I remember being a kid and there was uh, a gentleman in in uh, Jasper Texas uh, James Bird. And he, uh, you know, I'm from Beaumont, Texas, which is not far from Jasper. And James was, uh, Mr. Bird was dragged to death. He was tied to the back of a pickup truck and he was dragged to death. And I distinctly remember this lady uh, that who had gotten on television and, and she said, well, he wasn't that great of a person. I don't know why y'all are all, is so up in arms over him being dragged to death. And I thought, my goodness, you're sitting here justifying people murdering a man. Yes, it's murder. Murdering. I don't care what he was doing. I don't care if he's the town drunk or the town this or that. We're talking about a human life. and, And you're not and and you are justifying the extinguishing of a human life simply because of the pig, because of who they were the pigment of their skin because so he has more melanin in his skin than you do exactly Which is just you know the whole thing i remember thinking then this is this is horrifying and here we are decades later with the same thing happening to George Floyd, you know, something similar mm-hmm. that results in his death, you know, equally as heinous. Someone, I mean, we watched this gentleman, no remorse, looking in the cameras with people telling him, right, he is dying. And his attitude was, what are you going to do about it? Exactly. That was like, I mean, really, anybody who saw that, uh, I don't see how you could read anything other than his attitude was, I will do whatever I feel like doing. Right. And I feel like kneeling on his neck. And get away with it. And that's right. And you, you can do absolutely, positively nothing. And I say to that, anytime I see that, that level of uh, attitude, oh, yes, we can do something about it. Absolutely. He had so many infractions on his record for misconduct, especially against black and brown folks before that, that he shouldn't have been on the force to begin with. And that's what I'm talking about right there. Accountability. Uh He should have been off the force a long time ago um, before he murdered somebody. And that's a narrative across city to city, across the state, within our nation, which is why initiatives like Prop B are so important. Let's start taking this on at the root of the problem at the head and start holding these folks accountable and letting folks know, Hey, we didn't just protest in the street. We're taking this to policy. There's something that you can do. We're not going to stop. This isn't uh, happens for a couple months and we're done. We know that the movement continues. Mm -hmm. Well, Ananda Thomas, thank you for being on, on the record with Tiffany and thank you for taking up the gauntlet. Uh, for our people, because definitely it is important that that we have uh, that we have police officers, but that we have good police officers. Absolutely, and uh, and that that the police officers are protected, and the constituents are protected. The people in the community deserve to have officers that they can trust. Yes, they can feel safe with. Absolutely. Not not. Uh, not people that that are that are there with nefarious means, nefarious ideas, you know. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Tiffany. I just want to tell folks, if you'd like to find out more about Fix SAPD, our website is fixsapd.org. And thank you so much for having me on the record. You're welcome. And is, is there anything that you want to say to our our audience before you go that you want to leave them with? Leave them thinking about. Uh, You know, early voting in San Antonio starts April 19th. Vote yes on Prop B for accountability and creating a new contract together. So 
That's it. I hope to see everybody at the ballot box April 19th. Yes on Prop B. And you've been listening to another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. And you've gotten to hear one of our young leaders and a young history maker, Ananda Thomas. Uh, and I just want to say we're, we are better together and these conversations may be hard, but they're conversations that we have to have and that we have to move together beyond the the negative narrative that, that uh, we've had in our nation for so long. So thank you again for listening to On the Record with Tiffany. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you.